0: It was bad it was really bad um that was her best friend i like literally the first couple months i kept being like god you made a big mistake like you took the wrong parent because in my head he was so easy a dad you know like it was Mm -hmm. just easy for him and my whole life I've wanted to be a mother, but it did not come as easy. Like I thought I'd be a Pinterest mom and I remember trying to make my own baby food and just like having a mental breakdown in the kitchen because it was not my thing. <laughs> you know? And so yeah, the image of motherhood just wasn't as easy. I'm a now I will tell you I'm a great mom, but you know like at the time I was thinking you you surely didn't pick the parent that, you know, could have been missing.
1: You are now listening to the Unrelenting Humans podcast. My name is Lonnie, I am your host. And on this episode, we are talking to the incredible Dr. Ashley Peake Wellman as she takes us through the journey that she went through after experiencing a traumatic loss of her husband after multiple miscarriages. I don't want to get too much into it. Her story is really touching. And so I really just want you guys to listen and get everything out of it that I have gotten. She has really changed my perspective on trauma and overcoming. So without further ado, please don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow. And thank you for listening. I wanted to know a little bit more about your story. Sure. I I know you said that you had miscarriages and your husband died.
0: He did. Yeah. So I'm 36. He passed away when I was 34 and he was uh, 44 and our daughter was four so it's been a hell of a couple years um, for us but it's it's kind of crazy how I loved the whole um, the title of your podcast because it's I mean we really do have this chance to um, fight to to, you know not give up and to create a life that we want so that's kind of been what I've been trying of course it's a journey so I'm on that journey now. But um, back in 2016, we had started to try again for a second child. And and I'm blessed with a beautiful little girl who's six, Reagan. Mm -hmm. So um, forever fortunate for that. Um, But we thought, you know, okay, having a second baby, the first one was so easy. So we were just naive, you know, and we jump in and, and we tried to have our second child. I had four miscarriages, back to back to back, um, two of them which required surgery to remove the baby. And um, it was just hell. And I thought that that was like as bad as life could get. You know, I kept saying like, why, why me? Why is this happening? And my husband was always kind of the anchor of the family. And he uh-huh. would, he was like, look, Ash, if you're not happy, like I was busting my rear end as a professor and I had gotten tenure and I was doing all these things in my life that should have been breeding happiness, right? Cause they were quote successful and I was getting where I needed to be professionally. And I told him I just was so unhappy. And so yeah. he was like, well, then let's move. You know, and I was like, <laughs> well, that's that's stupid. Um, but he was like, let's move, like a change of scenery could be good. You know, it could be good just to start somewhere fresh as a family. Yeah. And, and so we did, we moved to Fort Worth. Um, that move came with sacrificing a lot of progress in my career. But to me, we were moving from like a small farm town to Texas and yeah. It offered so much more for Reagan for buddy for me and um so just like personally it was better so we moved and the day before I started this new job he had a pulmonary embolism and just collapsed in our home and no warning wow. nothing yeah it was just like literally I went upstairs to take a nap my daughter was in his lap I went upstairs by the time I got upstairs in this new condo we were in I heard glass break and I ran downstairs and he wasn't breathing so it was like totally unexpected poor reagan and i witnessed him basically die and then they took him to the emergency room reagan was not with me but i, I went to the emergency room they tried to resuscitate him four times um or well, like they, they did resuscitate him four times got him back Oh my god! but he didn't come you know his consciousness didn't come back but they got his heart rate back four times and then eventually the doctor just told me to stop and she said ashley he's brain dead you've got to stop you know and then Okay. So that was August 12th, 2018. Um, And then it was just kind of this journey of trying to fight for health and happiness in the midst of a nightmare. Um, Work, uh, I think grief kind of alters your world and your place in it. And so work was no longer the stability and the safe place, the normalcy that I thought it was going to be. And so I just started creative writing and I'm branching out as an indie author and just wrote my first children's book and doing things that involve Reagan and me starting anew, you know, and letting her see the good, the bad, the ugly of a new adventure because I'm realizing you can't really force yourself back into a life that doesn't exist, you know, and there's a lot of growing pains with that, but there's also a lot of permission to rewrite who you are. So we're in the middle of navigating that as a team, which is kind of fun because it's a six year old and I get to see her hopes and excitement. And then God bless her. She has to balance <laughs> my yeah. anxieties and yeah. And my excitement and, and um, dreams too. So
1: yeah. Now I want to know how that was for her. I can't Oh, imagine. God bless her.
0: It was bad. It was really bad. Um, that was her best friend. I Like literally the first couple of months I kept being like, God, you made a big mistake. Like you took the wrong parent because in my head he was so easy a dad you know like it was just Mm -hmm. easy for him and my whole life I've wanted to be a mother but it did not come as easy like I thought I'd be a Pinterest mom and I remember trying to make my own baby food and just like having a mental breakdown in the kitchen because it was not my thing (laughs) and so yeah the image of motherhood just wasn't as easy I'm a now I will tell you I'm a great mom but you know like at the time I was thinking you you surely didn't pick the parent that, you know, could have been missing. Um, And then, you know, like I've had to rewrite that just as a mother and saying like, oh, my God, there's moments that I go, buddy would be laughing like I can't do this or like, oh, shit. (laughs) I'm glad Ashley's the one having to navigate that, you know. Um, But for Reagan, we had the blessing of a children's grief center that she got to go to. And um, I actually, as a professor, I specialize in grief and trauma and Mm -hmm. following a, a sudden violent death. And so I usually am working with homicide survivors and sexual assault survivors and their grief. And so I had no clue what to do as a human being. But as a scholar, I was like, wait a minute, I tell families what to do. So right. I started like going down the list of things that I tell people that are actually probably horse shit. But, <laughs> but <laughs> I started doing all the things that I tell them to do. And, and it worked. So I, I reached out and I was getting help for Reagan as a child, right? Their grief is so different than ours. And I was letting her see me grieve and then also making sure that I balanced, not showing her all of the grief, you know, that I was feeling, but um, she's a miracle. She's, I think art has saved both of us like creative writing for me and singing and dance and theater for her. It's just um, I think at four, it blew my mind that she could craft her own grief story and preserve kind of this love for her father, but then also learn how to have joy again and not feel guilty you know like and it's it's been a journey and I think it'll always be a journey but it's I think it's something that I'm grateful I have her and I'm now I look at it like I'm really glad she has me on that journey too because we make a good little team
1: that's awesome
0: mm-hmm. that
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. it's good that you guys have each other and it's oh good my that gosh. you actually had that knowledge to kind of navigate you guys through that a lot of people just yeah wouldn't even begin to know what to
0: do. No. And I think we think kids don't get it. You know, so we're like, oh, well they don't understand. So we're just going to isolate them from everything. <laughs> yeah, and it's like <laughs> no, they get it actually more than we probably do because there's there's so little complications with it. Do you know what I mean? They want the facts and they want to know what's going on and they they have spurts of emotion and then mm-hmm. they then they want to go play with Barbie. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's very different, but it's I think it's equally complex and it's equally important and we I think as adults, we don't want to think our kids grieve, you know, and we we don't, we don't know how to manage that. So, so we just um, isolate
1: them. Yeah. Or like make sure,
0: yeah, make sure (laughs) they don't see us cry because we don't want to disturb them. And it's, it's a, it's a, um, it's a balancing act.
1: Yeah. But yeah, it's good for them to see and to learn how to deal with at a young age, because in life, we're going to go through stuff and they're going to have to learn how to, manage those emotions and grief when they're older so absolutely absolutely well. wow that's a, that's a crazy story <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry that you had to go through all of that
0: well you know I you know it's crazy I am also very sad I had to go through all of that but I'm starting to get to the point it's been two years and um in some ways it feels like it's been 20 in some ways it feels like it's been a month you know 20 years and then a month but um For me, I'm getting to the point where I'm able to look back and appreciate the blessings in spite of the loss and in spite of the traumatic moments. Because had I not had, you know, like if I hadn't had Reagan and I hadn't known the love of um, being a mother, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been seeking to be a mother again. I wouldn't have understood the power of the loss, but I'm a mother. So like how blessed am I to know and to have Reagan? And then, you know, with Buddy, I would have I would have married him a million times again had I known he was gonna die nine years later. So, you know, because we had such beautiful moments. So I think reframing the horror of the losses is that I actually know also the other side of that, which is just beautiful, unapologetic love. Yeah. And so yeah. And so it's 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 wild how our brains have to reposition things and how those moments they break you down to your knees, but then it's like, well, I have nowhere it can't get much, much worse. So it's the freedom that it gives you to experiment and trust yourself and try to grow as a person. It's really, really wild.
1: Wow. Yeah. And as you said, you did get to experience those beautiful moments and we don't ever really think about how many people don't even get that in their lifetime.
0: That's right. That's right. And I'm such a better woman because of the relationship that I did get to have with Buddy, you know, and as horrible, like I said, as horrible as it was to witness a traumatic death and to have to navigate that grief with my daughter, you know, I tell her all the time, I'm like, Reagan, you are forever special because, you know, you're your father's. And I believe I'm a better, stronger woman because I was his too. And so it just gives more optimism to the future of we've had it. We know that love, that's why the hurt was so bad. And you know, what's crazy is we're so young, you know, I might love again that way, you know, a different, a different type of love, but I get the potential to be loved again, mm-hmm. right? How magical is that? And I get the chance to, you know, rediscover or redefine a new Ashley because the old Ashley isn't necessarily there anymore. And so it's just, I mean, it's, yeah. it's and, and I don't always feel like that. Some days I want to break things or, you know, right. <laughs> yeah, I cry all day, but but they're, I'm getting stronger in the moments and being able to kind of redefine them as beautiful instead of always painful. Right. So as a professor,
1: do you feel that that helped you a lot mentally with you know, navigating after the loss and
0: with uh, just holding it together? I think it's both. I think it was hard and it was helpful. I think... The thing that was joyful for me about being a professor and a researcher, especially with what I studied, was that I didn't intimately know that kind of trauma, right? Uh-huh. And so I was able to be empathetic and to be mindful and to be helpful in that arena, but do it from almost, I don't even know how to say it, from a safe distance, maybe. Do you know what I mean? And I was able to do this hard, hard, hard emotional work because it wasn't triggering to me. Yeah. And so I think for so many survivors, I know so many brilliant, amazing survivors that do this work and they will tell you when you, when you have to tell your story or when you help another family, as much as it fills your heart to do that, it's also equally exhausting. And, you know, in in the back of your head, you're reliving your own trauma and those, you know, those realities. And so I think, um, for me, once it became, I knew trauma and grief, not the same kind, but I knew trauma and I knew grief at a new level and personally.
1: Yeah. It was
0: difficult to to you know re reimmerse myself into that because I was tired I was so tired. So then saying like do I have that kind of energy you know it became doubly as hard it came twice as hard to write something about grief and trauma because I I knew it. And yeah. so um and then you know ironically weird stuff like I was in the classroom months after his death. And I show my students Boys in the Hood, a movie, and mm-hmm. um, we talk about, you know, people being raised in, in the same environment, but having different lives afterwards. Yeah. But um, I I had watched that movie so many times. And at the end, you hear the screams of, you know, two of the characters begging for one of the characters to live. And mm-hmm. I immediately went back to being in that condo, begging buddy to live and hearing Reagan beg her dad to live. And so it was like, Oh my God, I had a PTSD moment right in the middle of the classroom and I had to run out. And thank God I knew that that scene was about 10 minutes. I could compose myself. Yes. Um, but it's things like that. I didn't expect, but then there was also the, the hope and the somewhat comfort of that. That was my old normal. You know, that, it provided routine for me. Uh, My students have always been, I mean, I, my heart has like 29 million components to it because my students own such a big part of my heart. And I think I grow and learn equally from them like they do from me. And so being surrounded by that energy was so healing, but then I think, I also expected that my career was going to pick back up and go the way it had, you know, it had gone the way it had been promised to me, the way that I had worked so hard to prove to people no matter, even though my husband had died, I was still a rock star as a scholar, you know, Mm -hmm. and then I quickly realized grief shifts a lot in your life and it shifts some people that used to be supporters and it you know it takes people who might have been naysayers and make them your biggest fans too but but at work i i ran into um for some it was just too much right like now i was the widow and there was a narrative written about me that i had no concept of and so i think there's the expectation that you're going to get over it you're going to go back to exactly who you were before and when you don't some people understand that and some people don't. And so for me, I think I also had to learn that maybe my life is not going to be the same, you know, even things like as stable as your career, right? Yeah. Don't necessarily offer the same joy, the same promises, the same, you know, future that you thought. And, And for me, I think for so long, that was so devastating for me for months. I remember just grieving my, not only my husband's death, but then my it felt like my career was shifting, right. and so I had to grieve that and give myself permission to explore other parts of myself that might have been buried. And so, for me, creative writing really was what used to be—literally being a professor—used to bring me these magical feelings. While my students still brought me that, you know, and my my survivor still brought me that, the yeah. environment didn't. And so, when I would write creatively and step away from the serious stuff so much. I could see colors and I could feel emotions that I hadn't tapped into and I could just feel alive and escape almost into these fictional worlds I was writing. And so it was really cool because that's always been there, but you know, as we grow older, we're told, Oh, you have to be this or you have to be that, (laughs) you know? And it's like, Oh, that you can't do that anymore. That's for kids. Or that's not a real job or right. And so I think, I think I'm learning yeah, I tell Reagan she can be whatever she wants to be. So I'm learning. Well, so can I. And so yeah. the yeah, the creative writing and that journey is just getting started. And it's one that that brings me those same feelings of excitement and joy and adventure. And so it's cool to 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 be living in that moment and saying, Ash, if you want to, you know, pursue that, pursue that. There's no rules you have to follow because all normal things, everything you were, it all fell apart. <laughs> so. it's right. so- horrible as that is as you're rebuilding and like band-aid you know putting band-aids all over that that old self what if it just created a brand new beautiful masterpiece you know and so it's and it's just exciting no
1: really it is uh from what you just explained it sounds like you like technically were kind of grieving grieving the like death of your old self and then you were just born into a new uh now this new ashley that lives by a totally different set of rules and is more open to you know exploring all the things that everyone says isn't what you're supposed to be doing and i mean i'm
0: open to so many everything you know i i i am the biggest proponent now of you know uh, mental health and experimenting with different ways to feel good, right? Because I know how hard it is sometimes to find that light and that joy. And so if someone says like, hey, you should try tapping, you know, I'm like, what is that? Sure, <laughs> you should try, you know, you should try this supplement. I'm like, sure, okay, I don't care. And then it's what's crazy is that it also opens you up, life opens you up to so much more empathy and compassion. And I I talk about Reagan. It's funny because as I'm talking about uh, to different people about my daughter, Mm-hmm. It's everything I'm saying about her it's like wait a minute Ashley that applies to you too so she's 6 you're 36 all of those same things happen for you we right. just aren't as like you know kind and reflexive t- with ourselves but you know I watch in Reagan and because she lost her dad she I talked to her about you know what Reagan yes it's sad yes it's traumatic yes I miss daddy But think about how special you are, right? You're his, you have an angel, right? And we talk about all this and there've been comments made to her about, oh, your dad's not here or this, you know, that girl doesn't have a dad or these different things. And instead of letting it ruin her, right? I advocate like, listen, Reagan, they don't understand. I would never wish someone to understand, right? Right. So, but what you know is that you are special and yes, we're different but we're also special because of that. And so that's really kind of what my first children's book became was a celebration of her friendship with her fake skeleton, right? She has this posable skeleton that she fell in love with when she was two. Is that the skeleton in the picture? It is the skeleton in the picture. Yes. And so. His name is Fresno. Um, I'm a criminologist. So he was supposed to be in my office and she adopted him as a best friend. And they would dance and so so that little picture inspired the first children's book that i that i just have i have it available for pre-order now and it's coming out in october officially but it's the girl who dances with skeletons my friend fresno and it celebrates the fact that what should scare us which all of us have many things that scare us right Right. so for reagan this skeleton that should have terrified her was beautiful (laughs) and and special to her and so through that by trying to understand the skeleton she developed a best friend right so if we looked at life all the things that scare us and we got to know them or got comfortable with the uncomfortable it could be really beautiful right what comes out of that and so celebrating differences loving yourself realizing we're better together no matter what color religion you know education level whatever and you know we're not I don't know that we're conditioned to always think like that, but it's like when you go through trauma and you start to realize grief doesn't discriminate, you know, these, we all have things that have broken us and things that have changed us and things that we struggle with and to not be empathetic to that with other people. When I need the world to be empathetic with me, do you know what I mean? It's something that's really changed my mission. So now I really want to take Fresno And use that to not only celebrate Reagan as different and beautiful and special, but to help other kids that might, you know, have a learning disability or might be from a marginalized religion or, you know, these different things to realize you are not different and and weird. You know, different doesn't mean weird. Different means beautiful and special and something to be celebrated. Yes. And, you know, I'm an educator at heart. I'm an advocate at heart. I will always be those things. So I'm like, I could use Fresno in elementary schools at back to school or, you know, red ribbon week or all these different things to teach kids. We're magical as ourselves. And then when we get together and embrace our differences, my God, how powerful could we be, you know? And so, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I
1: love that idea. Yeah, <laughs> I really, really do. Because like uh, in so many different areas, uh, kids, yeah, they they are different and they oh, nice. are Left to feel like that's bad because yes. of their different living circumstances, whether it's living with uh, one parent or having a disability, like you said, or just um, you know different personality things that they might be feeling or sexually, right. and it's really a good way to you know to show
0: them acceptance. It's just cool. I mean, literally, what I've learned from people that are not like me. Is more than I ever could have learned in a group of people that are just, you know, just the same. So I mean, to me, I seek ways and I seek ways to to expose Reagan to people, like you said, who have different, you know, sexuality, um, who who might identify with different genders, that, you know, practice a different religion. My ultimate favorite part of the year growing up. I'm Christian. My favorite part of the year was Jewish celebration of Hanukkah because (laughs) my friend Josh, I love him. He's such a great human. Um, But we were in the same class every single year. And his mom would come in, make us potato latkes. We'd play dreidel. We would do all these things. We'd read Herschel and the Hanukkah goblins. Mm -hmm. And as a Christian little girl, I just remember so much joy (laughs) In hope <laughs> about this this religious celebration, that yeah. you know it's like it's no threat to me that's it's just beautiful, right and so so I mean, I guess even as a young child, who knows, maybe even as a young child, I had that kind of that heart, but but as I've grown and as I realize life is ugly and messy, and as humans, we really don't have to add to that, life is nasty enough by itself, right. <laughs> you know, like as humans, we ought to be the light in each other's lives it's it's just cool, it just changed change the way I look at the world you know and I wish that I hadn't had to go through what I've been through to necessarily be as outspoken as that you know for that but all at the same time right no
1: I can tell oh my god like you are so resilient I thank you I I honestly didn't know what to expect in this conversation (laughs) but you are amazing like everything that you. you are doing and just what you told me about what you're doing, with what you have done with your daughter after this, this tragedy. Oh my God. Like, yes, whatever it is that is inside of you, we need
0: to bottle that up. Oh, thank you. Let me, let me be very transparent. There are a lot of little pieces that you would want drained out of that bottle, right? You would want to strain whatever mixture is going in. There's some strained elements that need to come out, right? Some little gritty pieces that need to come out, but it's not perfect and it's not pretty. And I think I, I was lucky enough to know that, right? Because I, I used to research the the grief process and, you know, oh, steps one, two, three, four, five, right? It is all a lie. And it's so messy and scary and there is no prescription. I think in the middle of grief, we want a prescription for what it's going to look like. And I think yeah. even if you're not grieving, so coworkers and friends and family, everyone wants you to follow that. Stepping st- those stepping stones because it makes sense. And the, re- the real grief is scary and ugly and messy. And there's mistakes made and there's emotions that are, you know, un- un- misunderstood even by the person feeling them. Right. And so I just think, I think one of the greatest things that I've learned is grace for myself. And then like we were talking about how much that's translated to grace for others. And you cannot understand trauma even if you've gone through something similar right you can't understand someone else's trauma fully so yeah. for me another widow that that had a young child and witnessed a you know traumatic death i would not fully understand her grief for a multitude of factors but i but, you know we do start to learn grace and like man what i would have done had people overlooked you know a b and c that i did during my grief journey and you know what i what i wish i had known and how proud i am about you know x y and z because i didn't know i was capable of those things either right so it, i think it's it's grace is the ultimate word that i can share with people and you know yes. i i pray that that people are able to, to learn that without trauma and hurt in their life but my god how much quicker i've learned it with that
1: yeah <laughs> yeah definitely. So I'm going to go back a little bit because we kind of skimmed over the four miscarriages.
0: Yeah, not fun. (laughs) (laughs) Not fun.
1: Not fun. No, I can't. No. (laughs) Yeah. That is. Yeah. How did you cope with that mentally? Like not well,
0: Um, not well. I honestly have handled Buddy's death. In such I mean, some people be like you did. I handled it in such a beautiful way compared to the way I handled the the loss of the babies. And um, to me, if, if it you know, if someone's a mom who's listening, you know, that feeling when you get a positive sign on a pregnancy test, the dreams start right on the dream yes. started when you're trying. Right. But but. You know, four different times I had, I saw a positive on a pregnancy test. A couple times I had seen a sonogram picture, you know, yeah. and and started the adventure of you know belly pictures and these types of things. And so for every single one of those babies, I had a plan, a mission, a name. You know, like all of these things that we wanted to happen for that baby. And mm-hmm. um, Reagan knew about some of them. You know, like oh, there's a baby in mom's belly. And so the first one. It's weird because every single one of them was so radically different. Yeah. The first one was, this sounds so silly, but I was kind of like, okay, let's be practical here. One in four women has a miscarriage. Okay. So I'm now contributing to the pool of statistics, right? I'm a, I'm a geek and nerd. So I'm like, okay, well, one in four, good. There's mine. And now like, I hope, you know, that's, that's done. And naively I was like, well, it's not going to happen again, you know? And um, so the first one I had lost naturally, and I was able to put it into some kind of bizarre scientific perspective. And then the second one, I had, I mean, I was further along, we had started taking belly pictures, I had seen the sonogram of the heartbeat, I had met my mom at the airport with a sign that says baby number two on the way, you know, arrival (laughs) time, this and that. Um, And so when I started spotting, no, I did i did not start spotting i went in for a normal checkup and so i actually told my husband don't come because we've already seen the baby and like that's the biggest hurdle so don't worry about it so i went in like happy go lucky you know oh let's look at let's look at the baby and see how great i'm doing and she couldn't find the baby and i should have been plenty far along now you know it had been like four weeks Mm -hmm. since i had last seen the baby or whatever and there was nothing and she was so quiet and i said Whoa, whoa, whoa! Like, what's going on? And she's like, "Hold on." So she, you know, she did a um a vaginal exam with the ultrasound, and she was like, "The baby passed away several weeks ago," and she's like, "That's why I couldn't see it, you know, on through your oh, belly because God. the baby's been deceased since probably like shortly after we checked last." So there was like a horrific monster feeling. This is probably like so traumatic for anyone listening. <laughs> um, there was a monster feeling. I felt like I had trapped this little dead baby inside my body and it had not expelled it naturally, which is what had happened with the first time. And so I literally was just, I was terrified. I hated myself. I felt disgusting. And I was like, just get it out. You know, like, please get it out. And they're trying to calm me down. And you know, they were like, well, you know, we have options. You can take this medicine at home. You can wait to see if you pass it naturally, although you haven't, which concerns us. Or you can have a DNC, and so um, I elected to have the surgery. And I remember the entire time to the hospital, I just cried to my husband. I said, "Like I don't, I don't want to do this. Like I do not want to do this," and I just kept thinking, like, I'm literally taking a baby out of my, I hate this. Right. And so I um, I was at the this first surgery, you know, it was just pure horror. And I kept begging them, like, please check again, make sure the baby's not here, you know, and they're like, Ashley, there's no way that baby's alive, you know, and I made them do another sonogram. <laughs> I okay. made them do all kinds of stuff, because I was like, I needed them to make sure. And um, there was just like a mother part of me that needed to, to know that they were right. And then the third one I passed naturally, and instead of it being horror it was just like anger of no way this a third time this is happening to us like Jesus you got to be kidding and then the fourth time my husband had actually just gone on a business trip and I went to um to the doctor and I felt really good I could feel like I'm very sensitive so I could feel everything in my body was changing and I was so happy and it was dead and It was the same kind of thing. I was far enough along to where I needed a DNC and my body wasn't taking care of it. And I remember calling him and saying, like, don't even bother coming home because I'm going in for surgery in the morning and I don't, like, I just don't even care anymore. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And he was like, what? God bless him. He was the most sensitive, amazing human ever. He was like, Ashley, what are you talking about? You know? And I remember I just had a friend. I was like, can you just drive me to the, the doctor tomorrow? And I was almost just numb no, at that yeah. point. Yeah. And it was, it was just wildly different for each one. And then, like I was saying, I taught through all four miscarriages, like actively miscarrying, uh, miscarrying in the classroom. You know, mm-hmm. so, like, I'm teaching and I'm trying to, like, students are asking me, like, what readings they have. And I'm literally thinking, like, I think I'm passing my child right now. Like, this is crazy. And yeah. I was so obsessed with my career and that I didn't want anyone to know that I might be, you know, less than perfect. So yeah. I was doing that or I would have a DNC in the next morning. I'd be at work, you know, and and these what? kinds of things. Yeah. So finally, at miscarriage four, after that surgery, I remember just being so broken and angry and numb and I told Buddy, I was like, I'm not going to work this week. You know, I can't do this. And there were months that he would just say, like, I just want my wife back. Like, what do I do? Just tell me what you need me to, to do. And that was kind of where we got to this place of, like, work wasn't making me happy. You got to remember, like, we had a nursery set up again for a baby. You know, we're in this house that we thought we were going to raise two kids in. And so him saying, Ash, it's okay to start over. Like, we could we could leave this place <laughs> and start fresh. And there was just something so attractive and terrifying about that that I said, yeah, let's do it. So um, I did go to counseling. Finally, I'm stubborn, right? So that was the my first real brush with severe trauma. And so um, eventually, I mean, he kept saying, Nash, like, you're not the same yeah. girl. And I'm worried about you. It was just out of pure love. Like, I worried about you. And I was like, yeah, I don't like me right. either <laughs> right so now. How
1: could you be after yeah. that? Yeah, you
0: can't. And so, and so I I did get help for that. It was significant. It was so helpful learning that, you know, like, look, Ashley, there's nothing wrong with you. It wasn't your fault. You didn't cause it. Right. Um, you know, it was just like, you feel so betrayed by your body and angry and, you know, everything makes you mad. And so I got to a good place and was so excited about moving and I was like oh my god it's almost like I could physically leave it behind that's very weird I don't know if this is the best coping mechanism but like I remember right. leaving Missouri running away <laughs> yes <laughs> I yes the
1: best. I it's mean, amazing it's a lot of different traumatic situations
0: like it's amazing
1: change of scenery yeah it's, yes it's very therapeutic. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I remember I remember I locked the door of our house in Missouri and as we drove away it was like I was leaving so many amazing people that I loved, but I was leaving also trauma that I could, it was done. Like it was saying goodbye to that trauma and compartmentalizing it there. Then I get to Texas and that condo that he died in, right? He died three weeks after he arrived in Texas, you know? Oh my God. Yeah. So literally this brand new place that had started with such hope and optimism, the physical space was haunting. And I was stuck there for, he died in August. I was stuck there till February when I finally bought a scrolls, a house. And so it was nightly that I was like walking over where he had passed away. And that's where the writing saved me because at night when it was so silent and scary by myself, I could write and just kind of pretend like I wasn't there. But I remember again, when I locked that condo door for the last time and turned my keys in mm-hmm. what I was, I was like, okay, it's finally goodbye to that trauma in this space. And I could walk away. And so it's interesting. Yeah, it's. I always tease people. I'm like, I don't know if this is healthy, but there really is something about turning the key and saying, okay, that's that chapter is done. And I can say goodbye to that, that part, you know?
1: Yeah, I well, uh, I could just only when you were just saying that it was just three weeks after. Oh mm-hmm. my God! Only thing I could really say was "fuck."
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, I've said that quite a lot. <laughs> yes, like,
1: this yes, is, that's so crazy. It's oh, so messed
0: God. up, and. And yet somehow I'm still standing. There's a big purpose for me, you know, and I'm, I've always been the t- determined to know what the next page holds for me, you know, which I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I have that kind of mental state because as angry and as depressed and as anxious as I get, I've always said tomorrow's going to be better. Tomorrow the sun comes up again and we get to choose like what we're going to be and do, you know? And so um, it, it's
1: crazy because I, I really do believe that some people that have been through the hardest things or the most trauma could be the most optimistic people that you ever meet
0: we're we're weird beasts. I'll tell you that <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like it's it's you know and I will never say again I will never say again because someone reminded me one time I said after buddy's death I was like seriously what else could happen like seriously do you know every dream everything that I am then you know, like work started to unravel and it was kind of like oh my gosh don't ask that because was that a challenge right <laughs> yes and you know, and then I look around and I'm like, of all the things I've been through, like we talked about earlier, the love that I do know, because I loved, but then had to lose, I was still loved. And I still got a baby. I have so many friends who would be the most amazing biological parents and want so badly to have a baby of their own. And they can't, who am I to say, like, not rejoice in my moment with my baby, I have a piece of my husband, I have This beautiful baby. And yes, did I see a table of four people and now it's down to two? Yes. Yes. But you know what, that bistro table is very cute. And there's like, you know, a very, a very great scene at that, at that dinner table. And so, and it can grow and change. But for so long, my life has been by the rules by what's expected of me, especially even like the what's told as a single mother, what my responsibilities are, you know, like Ashley, you have to have a paycheck for your daughter. And I was like, well, I also have to be a healthy mother. And I also exactly. have to be a happy woman. Because Reagan deserves to see her mother smile more than she cries, and fight for what she wants, and not feel isolated and stuck in things that don't make her happy. You know, so I'm having to be braver. I'm not that brave. I'm, um, I'm type a, I'm a planner. God knows he just like sits up there and laughs at me because everything's been scripted in my life (laughs) and it never happens. It never happens the way it's scripted. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm having to learn, guess what, Ash, like you don't always control it. Um, and when it doesn't go the way you want, there's a million options of where you can direct it, but you, you gotta have the strength to say like, okay, I'm going to steer this ship. A different way in the hurricane, and it's hard, yeah, yeah, but you gotta grab the wheel, <laughs> let's do yeah, it yeah.
1: and do it, Just yeah, get it done, so I have a question, yeah since you saw or saw the name of my podcast before I interviewed you, what does unrelenting mean to you?
0: I'm not gonna give up, um and for me right now it's funny because it's like that's just across the board, right? I cannot give up. For so many people, for so many reasons, I have to be unrelenting and it's almost to the point where you have to be unapologetic in the way yes. you try to live your life if if you're trying to live your life with the intent of health and happiness and kindness right then you almost have to be unapologetic because it's not always going to work for the people around you it's not always going to look the way people wanted it to look for you or that they expect you to comply with what they want right it's as a human being being unrelenting in this pursuit of saying i deserve i'm worthy i'm valuable enough to fight for a life worth living right And even when that life starts to take on a million different forms, keep being unrelenting, right? And so for me right now, it's with my children's book. It's so crazy. I have no business being a children's (laughs) book author, right? And I love it. I love it. And it's brought so much joy to my daughter's life, to my life. And I'm praying it brings a lot of joy to so many families. And so it's like, you know what? Yes. Was that scripted for a PhD in criminology to start writing kids books? No, I said murder. (laughs) <laughs> Probably not synonymous with children's books, but you know what? My love of skeletons can be translated to a love of people who are different, and um, the fact that things that scare us are often just misunderstood. Do you know what I mean? And let's let's surf a new journey, and keep fighting to say this chapter's closing, but the book isn't done so what chapter are we writing next right like just not exactly. refusing yeah refusing to put that pin down um figuratively and now physically for me right um mm-hmm. and so yeah fighting for a life that i didn't know i needed that i didn't ever request and yet waking up every day and going my god i'm so blessed in so many ways get up right <laughs> knowing like what's next
1: right no I love it I love the fight that you got in you girl (laughs) thank
0: you so much it's because of amazing people around me it really is I and one of them is literally a six-year-old child who just embodies joy and hope and so I'm like well if she can do it so can I so let's
1: (laughs) we could all learn a lot from a six-year-old oh amen
0: (laughs) amen she's the strongest wisest little human and sometimes I swear to god her father whispers through her things that a six-year-old would never know to say, you know, um, or like when she'll wipe a tear off my cheek and she's like, I'm so proud of you. You know, I'm like, what? Aww. Yeah. Who are you? Cause, so oh, it's, oh, there's so many moments like that where, you know, I had a nervous breakdown the other night about the book being perfect and wanting it to, so badly to be perfect. And she's like, mom, it's perfect. Cause you did it, you know? And Aww. yeah, I'm like, what? Thank you, Reagan. <laughs>
1: oh my God. She's amazing.
0: <laughs> she's wonderful. She's wonderful. <laughs> and then you know what, at the end of the day, I have to step back and go, we did that together. Like, I'm great because of her. And you know what, at the end of the day, I got to give myself credit. As much as I used to say, why me? Why didn't I go that day? I didn't. And now I get to look at her and say, wow, I must be doing a pretty good job. (laughs)
1: It's not perfect.
0: Yeah, it's not perfect. But I got to be doing a pretty good job it's perfect oh thanks <laughs> we need a you weekly chat
1: really yeah. oh, Definitely. Um, we have a lot more in common yes than, uh, you even know but yes I really appreciate you sharing your story thank you you are so brave and wow you inspired me today oh a- my
0: goodness well can and- I sh- can I tell your listeners where they can find Fresno Definitely. Okay. So if you want to join the wacky world of Fresno and the girl who dances with skeletons, um, that book and little fun things like a plush doll and puzzles, they're all available on my website, www.myfriendfresno.com. All goodies are available to order now. And then in October of this year, 2020, they'll be shipped out to family so that they can start the love, you know, the and the acceptance and messages of, of hope and differences and celebrating who we are, that we can all start doing that together come October.
1: Definitely. Ooh. Yay. Perfect. Perfect for Halloween. Yes. It's my favorite holiday. I can wait. <laughs> so, um, are you on social media?
0: I am on social media. So, if they want to follow me as, um, you know, if you guys want to follow me as the author and and the children's book series, it's at my friend Fresno across social media um, outlets. So, uh, on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, it's at my friend Fresno. And then if they want to know more about me, my website is www dot ashleywellman.com
1: okay awesome all right well thank you so much i will definitely be checking out fresno (laughs) i'm gonna go follow right now
0: he's a great friend you're gonna love him
1: (laughs) (laughs) and thank you for being the brave woman that you are and i'm pretty sure a lot of women will listen to this and be inspired And we all appreciate you for sharing your journey and your story.
0: Thank you so much for giving me the platform to do so. I hope that um, the messy, beautiful story of realizing that it's not (laughs) perfect, there is no right or wrong. You just got to give yourself that you're worth a beautiful life, right? And keep fighting for it. Um, I hope that, that at least one listener walked away with that.